This episode is brought to you by Our Daily Bread Ministries, a global media organization that makes the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. Visit whereyou'refrom.org for more information. That's where, Y-A, from, O-R-G. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is the Nicene Creed, and in particular we're going to be discussing the themes in the Nicene Creed, literally woven all the way through it, related to resurrection, which is sort of an important concept in Christianity. Is that right? I would say it's sort of, yeah. sort of important. And, and our expert today is Glenn Kreider, who is a fellow colleague in crime here at Dallas Theological Seminary. He teaches systematic theology, and I'm in New Testament studies. So between the two of us, we, we do a lot of damage here mm, on campus, mm, don't mm. we? I hope we do some good, too. Yeah, that's right. Just every now and then, we get lucky. <laughs> so, um, so, so let's dive in and, and talk about the creed in general first. Um, um, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the role of creeds in the history of the church, if we can, mm-hmm. and uh, and just thinking through the importance of creeds and what they meant, particularly to the early church, and uh, possibly a little bit of the background in the sense that uh, most people in this time period weren't necessarily literate. They didn't walk around with Bibles, that kind of thing. So creeds became a very important way for the church to, to catechize, teach, and instruct. It, is that a good dive in? Yeah, that's a really good summary of um, of a result uh, of a consequence. Uh, D. H. Williams, um, in his book on the creeds, a primer for uh, skeptical postmoderns, the subtitle, uh, says that that fairly early the church concluded that there was a need for some summary statement, some way of of catechizing is a good word, mm-hmm. the believers in Jesus. They're not carrying iPhones around. They don't have they don't have Gideon Bibles uh, on every uh, – They don't even have papyri that they're carrying with yeah. them in the back pocket. And, and, but the creeds really develop out of a need to respond to false teaching, respond to heresy. Mm-hmm. And, and so when, when people um, come up with novel interpretations of the Scripture, they come up with novel views of who – God is and how he works, it was deemed important to be able to respond directly, emphatically to uh, to those false teachings, and the creeds grow out of that, particularly Nicaea and Chalcedon. And they represent a statement about this is what the community at large believes is a, is a, in, in mass. It's not these are not idiosyncratic right. kinds of statements. Yeah, they are unifying statements. Mm-hmm. They they establish the boundaries. You can say this, but not this. And they, they, they are unifying statements. They, uh, I like to describe them as functioning in a way in which the, this is what it means to be Christian. You're, you're entitled to believe anything you want, but you're not entitled to call it Christian if it's not within the boundaries of this creed or confession. And, and of course, these creeds are designed to summarize what, what Scripture teaches. You know, uh, doctrinal statements kind of I guess it would be fair to say have kind of fallen on a little bit of hard times mm-hmm. oftentimes these days, but they actually have performed a very significant role in the history of the church. Yeah, they do, but I, I'd make a distinction between creeds and confessions or doctrinal statements. The creeds are ecumenical. They summarize what all Christians believe. 
and then different communities, different denominations, different organizations, different groups of believers would uh, clarify where they stand inside that creedal confession. So the Baptists would would emphasize some aspects, some ways of practicing Christianity, but would share a common belief in one God who's triune in his nature. And so these creedal statements that we're talking about come from the first centuries within uh, within a few centuries of the time of Christ and and represent really in core for the most part core debates either about the trinity or about christology in particular is that is that also a fair summarization yeah i think they they usually start with with christology which mm-hmm. takes us into trinitarianism but i think they actually predate the the creeds that we have mm-hmm. so Philippians 2, for example, is a creedal statement of Paul's language, this is a faithful saying and worthy of full acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's a creedal statement that predates the writing of those documents. Yeah, and that's sprinkled all through the pastoral epistles, for example, those kinds of statements. Yeah, and you've got – it's interesting, the creedal statements or the doctrinal summaries, as I oftentimes call them, uh, are are important because of the range of what they cover. Romans 1, 2 to 4 covers Christology. First Corinthians eight four to six covers of what we believe about the Father and the Son, a kind of binitarian statement, if you want to say it that way. First Corinthians fifteen covers the resurrection. Um, you've got bits probably in Romans six that allude to baptism. You've got a section in First Corinthians eleven twenty three and following that deals with the Last Supper and the Lord's table. So, so these these short, pithy, memorable statements help people to understand the core of the faith. And I tell people, you know, these statements are written before there's a functioning New Testament. That's right. That's right. And they – and so sometimes liberals will say, well, you know, theology could kind of roam all over the place until we got the recognition of a canon. And I'm sitting here going, no, these doctrinal statements that are embedded in these very, very early texts mm-hmm. are telling you what the early church is teaching from very early on. And all the epistles begin with at least a binitarian uh, God, Mm -hmm. uh, so that very early, although the church didn't have the language of the Trinity, Mm -hmm. they were confessing their belief in this one God, Father and Son, and then often the the Spirit's mentioned as well. (laughs) Important, I think, also to respond to those who want to pit the Bible against confessions, against uh, 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 even creedal statements, mm-hmm. that they're very early in the Christian tradition. People were were coming up with ways, memorable ways, uh, transferable ways to talk about who this God is. And some of them make their way into the New Testament. We, we read them as, as canonical statements, which they are, but they had a history before they became canonical. They, 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 uh, they were deemed a nice summary. I think that's what uh, Paul would say, a really nice way to summarize who this Jesus is. Mm-hmm. So we've got the biblical content, and then, of course, when we think about the precursors to some of the more famous creeds that we're aware of, there are uh, pieces like the Apostles' Creed and that kind of thing that also have rich, deep pedigrees mm-hmm. going back really within generations of the original uh, of the original community, so that there is a stream of tradition that is, in, in the healthy sense of that term, that is uh, feeding into these confessions that we right. get and we see. Right. Yeah. Uh, and really, it could hardly be otherwise mm-hmm. that the way the Scripture gives us a 
the foundation. It gives us a grid, it, but it doesn't answer all the questions. And the 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 culture, the the world around us raises challenges, raises questions, and then the scripture has to be interpreted. The scripture has to be applied, which is what leads to Nicaea mm-hmm. as uh, uh, as Arianism, the the view that Jesus is. The, the the first created being through mm-hmm. whom God made the world, uh, and the, the how does um, how does that um, measure up? How does how is that consistent with what we know about who Jesus is? And at Nicaea, the conclusion was it doesn't measure up at all. Yes, and and uh, this is a very very important conversation because when it gets raised who the Son is in relationship to the Father. You know, this is where a text like the 1 Corinthians 8 passage becomes so important mm-hmm. because it puts Jesus on the creator side of the creator-creature divide, mm-hmm. which shows um, uh, in, in a context of a Jewish monotheism, if you want to say it that way, that he is on the divine side mm-hmm. of that curve mm-hmm. and, uh, and should be viewed as such. Well, and today we might sit down with the scripture, with a concordance, with Lagos, with some way of, of accumulating Bible verses mm-hmm. and respond that way. But that wasn't that wasn't possible in the second, third, fourth century. Right, right. And and, and again, I, I think again there are two things that people I think uh, have a hard time grasping about the ancient time. W- one is that it isn't as bookish as our mm. as our Time is, or or, or computerish, if digital, if you want to think of it that way, uh, and and people didn't own books. I mean, they did, and and then beyond that, a substantial portion of the population wasn't even literate. So uh, so everything that they learned, they learned through hearing and repetition and uh, orally, and it was passed on uh, verbally through these kinds of means to teach it, and in in memorable ways mm-hmm. that. Um, in a even in a literate society, the these uh, these confessions, these creeds, are written in a way in which they they are easily memorized. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you put them to music, it's even more powerful. Way yes, to remember them. Yeah, and and the little. Hillsong uh, rendering yeah. of the Creed is in the back of my head when you well, say I that. Go, I go back things. to Rich Mullins. There you go. The we, we can. We can. We'll, we'll, <laughs> Two different generations. Another, another conversation. <laughs> another conversation. Anyway, um, so let's take a look at this Creed and, and first let's let's uh, make an observation, just kind of an overview. You, you were talking before we started to record about how much you like this Creed because of the almost the narrative feel that it gives, the story that it that it gives. Tell us a little bit about what you're talking about when you when you say that. Yeah, I actually mean two things by that. <laughs> it's almost like the writers of this document had read through Ephesians 1, mm-hmm. and they have a Trinitarian structure, mm-hmm. but it's not merely the Father, then the Son, and the Spirit, but the, the story of the Scripture mm-hmm. is told here, from creation then to the need for redemption. It's for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. And it, uh, and then the spirit and the um, resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So we have creation, fall, and redemption. Mm-hmm. The the narrative of the scripture told trini- in a trinitarian fashion, it's mm-hmm. a, which which makes it a really easy uh, creed to to memorize. 
Yes. So we're going to talk today and and kind of focus in on the themes that tie to resurrection. So we, we're it's a little bit odd that we're going to dive kind of into in the, the middle. middle of the of the of the creed here, um, but it says uh, and it picks up the story, of course, of his death. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." That's literally right out of the biblical text. Mm -hmm. Um, "...and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father." Again, right out of the biblical text. Mm -hmm. "...and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end." So this is in the section in which we're highlighting what it is that God has done through the Son. We'll immediately transition to the Spirit after Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's talk about the background of, of, of some of these phrases and then what's, what's in view here. It says, um, he rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And we said that's right out of Scripture. So mm-hmm. what Scriptures leap to mind as we think about that phrase? First um, Corinthians 15 mm-hmm. immediately pops to mind as that, Paul uh, really belabors the point that this, that this one is resurrected. If he's resurrected, then there's the hope of our resurrection. If he's not resurrected, then there's no hope of, of anything So it's the invocation of an entire chapter dedicated mm-hmm. to the defense of the resurrection, yeah. the importance of the resurrection, yeah. the importance of a physical resurrection. Yeah. We're not talking yeah. about reincarnation. We're not talking about immortality of the soul only. We're talking about a full restoration uh, of uh, including a physical dimension to that makes uh, everything about who we are important. But it's not merely the resurrection of the body that's in view. This is a resurrection life. This mm-hmm. is a this is a resurrection that is. He's not only um, um, bodily. He's not only incarnate eternally. Right. Uh, but he is resurrected eternally, and uh, then he is. The the um, the king of this kingdom that will never end. So it's a resurrection is 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 a quality of the experience, a quality of life, not merely the as important as it is mm-hmm. the fact that he is physically resurrected from the dead. Mm-hmm. And this, by the way, Daryl, this this is the one who is f- through whom all things were made. This mm-hmm. is the creator of the universe mm-hmm. who. For us and for our salvation, language that comes right out of Ephesians, mm-hmm. because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, this uh, it is for us and for our salvation that he did for us what we could never ask him, never hope that he would have done. For, we didn't even know we needed. And the, certainly the we could never do for ourselves. And we could never do for ourselves. Exactly. So, so the, the, we have in this middle section where responding to Arianism, we have both his full and complete deity and his full and complete humanity. His, he was made human, and he suffered and died as, I take it, as evidence that he was fully human. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, um, and when we, and we transition from the resurrection into the ascension, this is also a very important mm-hmm. expression. Ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father. The allusion here is to the language of Psalm 110.1, mm-hmm. of course. Probably and in the New Testament to Acts. Acts chapter 2, exactly, to Acts chapter 32 to 36 in particular. And I, I like to, to pose the ascension as doing a lot of things. Um, uh, the resurrection, ascension, all of it, and that is that 
one of the things that's going on is it's kind of God's vote in the dispute about who Jesus is in one sense. You know, it's, a, it's an act of divine affirmation and vindication of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. which I think we oftentimes at Easter time tend to not talk about enough. It's almost as if, well, he's raised from the dead, so one day we'll be raised from the dead. But we forget that that happens in the midst of a dispute in which Jesus was crucified because some people said he's blaspheming. Mm-hmm. And go ahead. Yeah, and this is God's response to the acts of evil men who put him to death. And mm-hmm. the, the apostles—that's the, the the apostolic preaching. That's the passion exactly. narratives. You put him to death, but God has raised him from the dead. Exactly. It's an two exclamation three. point. Yes. On, on God's and, and 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 so I call it God's vote in this dispute mm-hmm. about who Jesus is, and it's yeah. His vindication. And then the idea that He can sit at the right hand of the Father. And then I, I like to tease people. I say, you know, you got to be Jewish for a second. You got to put your kippah yarmulke right here on your head, and mine fits very nicely right here. <laughs> and um, and in, and in the midst of doing that, uh, you ask yourself, okay, who gets to sit with God in heaven? Who gets to share His authority and His glory and His honor and His activity? You know, it's one thing for God to commission someone to do that. He does that with the angels, mm-hmm. but but they don't they don't sit next to him in heaven. Yeah, it's also one thing for God, as he consistently does in the biblical story, to condescend to come to earth to sit with Abraham, to sit with mm-hmm. Moses, to to sit with Mary. Mm-hmm. It's another thing entirely for a creature to go to heaven and, and sit with him. Yes, and so whether we think about it in the picture of Daniel 7 where the Son of Man rides the clouds, which is something mm-hmm. only deity does, or we think about this picture, it's it's important to think about, uh, about what that actually means, and again, particularly in a Jewish context. Not only that, but the actor in this particular aspect of the drama is God is God the Father. God the Father is the one who's responsible for the raising of Jesus Christ. So if the complaint comes that uh, this is something God would never be or do or believe or however you want to say it, it's kind of hard to say that when he's the one performing the action yep. that leads to the resurrection and the vindication. Yep. And but he doesn't stay there. That's right. He's coming again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. Yes. He's coming back to to earth. Uh, his his exaltation to the to the throne of God is a, as it were, a temporary place for him while he waits for his return to establish a kingdom that will never end. Yes. An earthly kingdom. Yes. Yeah, so so uh, there's this accountability and, and again this is another you know we're dealing with a whole series of core points here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I teaching last night in, in a church situation in which I was going through Acts 17 and, and of course the question of Acts 17 is what do you say to someone about the contents of biblical teaching when they don't know Genesis from Malachi. Mm-hmm. I mean, they absolutely, you are starting from complete scratch mm-hmm. in terms of what you say. And what Paul does is he says, well, there's a creator, we're the creatures, we're accountable to that creator, and he has appointed that accountability to be managed mm-hmm. through one person. Which is the same narrative exactly. we're reading here. Exactly right. So, so and, and that's precisely the point that that we are looking at these texts in which we we see this this uh, ascension, this vindication, but it's a vindication into a uh, a reassertion 
of a role in a position that Jesus has always had, mm -hmm. but now uh, visibly demonstrated. In Romans 1, we get the language of, I, I'm going to be very literal here, that God has horizoned Jesus mm -hmm. as Son. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. you think about what a horizon does, mm -hmm. it marks off one space from another space. Mm -hmm. And so he has horizon Jesus as son, horizon him with power as son. And, uh, and that's what the resurrection represents, a marking out, a, it's, it, it's making Jesus a neon sign, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of thinking about what he does. And a neon sign, I mean, the neon sign is a nice metaphor, mm -hmm. because now he is embodied, he's a visible flashing sign exactly of, right of his vindication. a permanent permanent flashing mm -hmm. sign he is the light yeah. and uh and, and we're supposed to be drawn to that in terms of of what it is that he does and, and yet there is in this language a little bit of an ominous tone mm -hmm. that he is coming again with glory to judge the uh, I, I like that uh, king james language the quick, quick in, in the, the dead. dead that's right that there is there's judgment, which which then takes us back into the biblical story too. That the day of the Lord comes before the establishment of the kingdom, so He's coming to judge the quick and the dead, and then the, the uh, establish a kingdom that will never end. That's right, and and the uh, the I like the phrase the quick. I'm reminded of that's the way some people are in the basketball court. I'm definitely among the dead, <laughs> and and so. Some people move and some people are quite stationary. Um, and, and so there's this idea, this picture of this, of this uh, again, this authority, this kingdom, but only, only in one sense only some are going to benefit from what it is that, that Jesus brings. And that's the ominous – I take it that's the ominous note that you're yeah. pointing towards. Yeah, this is, not, this is not the hope of the redeemed. This is not – our desire that we're looking, we're looking for, we're looking for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But this this ominous note that that judgment comes prior to the kingdom. It reminds me, it takes me back to uh, to Amos, who who warns the people not to long for the day of judgment, the day of darkness, not light. But that day of darkness comes before light. The judgment comes before the kingdom is established. And we're also getting the realization of a kingdom program, which is which points to a rule, and we're looking at the consummation of this rule when the full shalom that was always promised with the kingdom is is coming and arriving. And, 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 and so in that sense, we see um, this authority, the, the picture of Jesus is not only as one who has been vindicated, but one who rules mm -hmm. and has authority. That's where the accountability comes from. I like to make the point that Jesus, the claim that Scripture makes that Jesus is Lord of all means that we're accountable to him whether we recognize it or not. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's a realization in both senses of that word. Mm -hmm. It's a, 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 an awareness of it, but it's also a fulfillment of the kingdom. Yeah. So so this middle section is really packed in terms of what it's doing. I mean, we haven't even made the observation about there's there's a little historical aside here in the name Pontius Pilate, which locates this tightly in history. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about the same kind of symbolic story or something like this. This is and, this really happened. And the other name, the Virgin Mary. Exactly right. A, a, from very early, the church confessing belief in the virgin birth. Yeah. So we've got uh, really a powerful statement here about how the 
resurrection uh, is is the really the the pinnacle of what uh, has been accomplished through Jesus. His death would mean nothing without resurrection. Right. It's, it's a cruel joke. Yeah, the version that I have has at the very beginning. I believe in one God, and then the transition to the Son. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, um, and then when you come to the end, towards the end of the creed, it says, "I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life." So I've gotten a threefold confession of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then I get to, uh, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, confess one baptism. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We're going to zero in on these last two lines eventually. But this, this, this credo, right? This credo, the credo is a way of saying, I believe. And yet, there's an interesting tradition difference here that's worth noting between the first person that I'm reading and the first person that you have in your version. What's going yeah, on Yeah, the first person in the, in my version is plural, so uh -huh. it's we believe in mm -hmm. one God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. So what's going on there? The Eastern Church tends to use the plurality language. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the first person plural, mm -hmm. and the Western Church tends to use the uh, the individualized. Uh, I believe, and uh, and 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 I, and I smile because so oftentimes when I'm singing hymns in churches that are written in the first person singular, I'm sitting here saying, I sure wish some of these guys mm -hmm. would write in the first person <laughs> plural because we're all singing this together as a community, yeah. and yet we individually are confessing what we individually believe. So there is. A, I try not to make too much of uh -huh. a distinction, um, to to be too uh, critical of, right. of first person in the psalmist use first person uh, too. Mm -hmm. But there is something interesting about confessing together. We believe, and hearing the people around one confess the the the, the, uh, the plural pronouns. Well, I'll, I'll confess to my bias, which comes out of the Lord's Prayer, which is actually the disciples' prayer, and the little parentheses goes after the yes, mm -hmm. because everything is done and is said in terms of a joint confession that all disciples are praying for one another yeah. as they engage in that prayer. So mm -hmm. you've got tons of first-person plurals running through that mm -hmm. little short. Confession, and, and I think it underscores something that is important. Granted, we individually believe, and we step into that. And the West has highly been highly focused for a long time on the individual, um, and yet there is this corporate dimension to what we do and what we belong to and what the church is, etc. Mm -hmm. That also is a very important part of our walk with God. Yeah, and it's the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church. They're, mm -hmm. they're not. We're not each an individual church, an individual body. We're part of one body. Exactly right. So, so that uh, that's just an interesting feature again that, uh, that is worth pointing out. And and again, it shows the the way in which these traditions have have grown up and in some cases developed in, in certain distinctive directions. Actually, this episode is brought to you by the Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. 
It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Okay, well, let's come back to the to the eschatological hope here. Now, you you're one of our eschatology profs on on campus, and so it says, um, "I look forward to the resurrection of the dead." And uh, everything about that is fascinating. The looking forward part is fascinating, and of course, the resurrection of the dead. And people have all kinds of conceptions about what heaven's going to be like. Um, some of them probably not. Quite on. So let's let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about the expectation part of this. Um, you guys have just come off a conference that you've done here called "Shaped by the Future," in which you were talking about the impact of what we know we are headed towards impacting how we live now. Develop that a little bit for us. What what were what were you trying to emphasize in in talking about being shaped by the future? It, um, Divine revelation, the scripture, creedal statements, confessions um, must always be understood as having ethical impact. It's not merely that we know certain things, but the knowledge of these things now impacts the way we live. Mm -hmm. A great deal of eschatology has been to develop um, confidence about details of the prophetic plan, to, to, to be able to draw out a timeline, to be able to calculate to the degree that we can the, 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 the dates and numbers and the signs. And I'm not saying that none of that is helpful, mm -hmm. but what, what is often missed in that is the ethical impact of that. So what difference does it make? that we believe that Christ is returning to earth? What difference does it make that we believe there's a, a tribulation and a rapture before that time? What difference does it make we believe in the, uh, uh, the in a millennium and, and, and the resurrection? What, what, what difference does that make? And we are convinced that eschatology is not about understanding the details in advance of something Jesus said you can't know until it happens, mm -hmm. but that we would live in light of that hope. So uh, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. Uh, one of the major impacts of that is it's a, it, it's a response to and a correction to the pretty common view that the gospel means you get to go to heaven when you die, mm -hmm. and the goal is to go is to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So, so a great deal of speculation about what heaven is like, and what often happens is that the language in the scriptures, which are which is describing the new creation, the new heaven and new earth, is then somehow can I say spiritualized mm -hmm. and turned it. So you go to heaven and you walk on streets of gold. Mm -hmm. Well, the description of streets of gold is not in heaven. Mm -hmm. That's the, uh, the description of the heavenly city, which is on the earth. Mm -hmm. And that so, so much of our 
per, it has I mean, there are all kinds of things worth talking about there. If the goal is uh, to go to heaven, then then death is not as serious a, a terrible foe as we thought it was, mm-hmm. because it actually becomes the and people use this language. It's the the ultimate healing. That mm-hmm. We get to be relieved. We're promoted. We mm-hmm. get to and all of that language with the with the best of intentions. Because there is a great hope in front of us. And Paul says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. It's mm-hmm. better to be there than, mm. than here. But that's not, that's not our, where our hope lies. That's not, where the, that's not our goal. That's, that's not our destiny. I, I like to say that our hope is not a place. Our hope is not an event. Our, our, as important as those events are, our hope is in a person. Mm-hmm. His name is Jesus. It's uh, Peter says our inheritance is in heaven, and Paul describes uh, Paul describes our the, the the spiritual blessings we have received. They are in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He he is our hope, and and the creed confesses that we are look for we're looking forward to him, and we're looking forward to the resurrection of the dead when he comes. And so uh, the, the the thing that I think about when I think about all this is is that. You know, there's that wonderful passage in Acts where the disciples are all pumped up because Jesus has been raised, raised mm-hmm. and they think, oh, eschaton must mm-hmm. be – the consummation must be right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Is this the time when you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And aside, nothing in that question is – questioned in terms of the premise. They've been with Jesus for 40 days. They've heard him exposit the scriptures, and they still have the hope that there's a restoration coming in a role for Israel in it, and nothing in Jesus' answer dissuades them from having asked I like to joke that Jesus didn't respond by saying, oh, you guys, I've been with you 40 days, and we got to re-enroll in Eschatology 101, and let's start back at the beginning. He doesn't correct them that way. He basically says, that question, the answer to that question is the father's business. Because I don't know. Yeah. Which is, I think is a bit of a correction of mm-hmm. them. Uh, I, I think he corrects them in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think he's been holding out on them. Mm-hmm. Maybe before you didn't know when, but now you do. He, yeah. he said, I still don't know. Yeah. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah. But I think he also wants them to understand. And in the book of Acts, it takes Peter a um, – a vision from heaven multiple times, right? And showing up in Cornelius's house before Peter gets it, right? Uh, that it, it as important as the as Israel's role in the kingdom is. God's plan is much bigger than Israel. Yes, it's not about restoring David and Solomon's kingdom. It's about fulfilling the promise God made in the gospel announced in advance to Abraham that all peoples will be blessed. But he, so he doesn't he doesn't do what I think many of us would have done and, and right. addressed each one of the points. Right. Um, but he his response is it's that's it's not for you to know. That's that's uh, that's given to the father. That, I also uh, think I, I would prefer to use language of recreation rather than restoration, mm-hmm. because I think in God's work of redemption, things are always getting better. Mm-hmm. So the 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 kingdom, as great as the kingdom of, of David and Solomon was, the kingdom that is to come, as as former President Ronald Reagan used to say, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because even the language of restoration is looking back. Even as you look forward to the consummation, you're also looking back to the restoration yeah. of the way it originally was. And so, 
Um, so there's a way of thinking about it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the other interesting thing about that past particular passage is, is that he, he says it's the Father's business, but in the meantime, you've been given an assignment. Yeah. This, this is If you want to focus and concentrate on something, mm-hmm. okay, this is what you need to concentrate on. And that's, of course, the language of Acts 1-8. They've been given a mission. Mm-hmm. They're, being, they're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and they're to testify to what it is that God has done through Jesus Christ for the sake of the world, really. Mm-hmm. Which picks up what he does in the end of Matthew 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you don't know when these things are going to be, so you should – what should you be doing when when the king returns? You ought to be faithful to him. You ought to be doing exactly. what he left you to do. It's what, it picks up what, uh, what Daniel hears in, in Daniel 12. Daniel, go your way. Do your job. Mm-hmm. It's not your – place to figure out all this stuff. You have a job to do, so do your job while you're here. Yep, and and that emphasis is, is, is I was going to go to Mark 13, which is doing the same thing as mm-hmm. Matthew 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be watchful. Your eye is to have an eye aimed at knowing where God is taking you while doing what he's asked you to do mm-hmm. in the meantime and to be a faithful steward in the meantime. In fact, a ton of parables in Jesus' yeah. teaching that deal with eschatology have to do with faithfulness. And the church learned that lesson in the very first persecution that she experienced when John and Peter come back after being arrested for the first time. The church prays, and they pray. Um, to be faithful in the midst of the persecution. I say there are two things they don't pray for. They don't pray for the nuclear option, okay? They don't pray to wipe the enemy off the face of the earth, nor do they pray to have the persecution taken away from them. They pray for two things, help us to be faithful and help us to continue to minister to the very people who are pushing back against us. Maybe John learned something in that earlier story where he calls down fire from heaven yeah, or wants to. That's right. Yeah, yeah. by that time he'd given up on the nuclear mm-hmm. option, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. And so, um, so we see this call to faithfulness. Eschatology then, here's, here's another element that I think is important. Eschatology is important because in the security that it gives us of knowing what will happen, we don't need to be afraid about what is happening. Mm. Or um, – or our fear is tempered by the confidence of what is to come, even though uh, even though this will end, this might end badly for us, and eventually right. it ends badly for all of us. Yes, there there is the there is the hope based in the promise of God, the assurance we have in the gospel. I mean, it's you, you said it, uh, you understated it earlier. Mm-hmm. If, if the gospel is not true, nothing else matters. This right. Is, this is not simply a significant thing. This is the very heart of the resurrection of the dead is the very heart of the gospel. Yes, and and the the I mean, there are just so many different angles to this. The, 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 the assurance that comes and the security that comes from knowing you're a citizen of heaven uh, knowing where your home is, knowing who has his hands wrapped around you. It doesn't mean things are going to be easy. There's this really odd passage in Luke in the midst of the Lucan version of the Olivet Discourse. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, it says, um, you know, that not one hair of your head is going to be spared. And, and then kill you. And then two <laughs> verses later, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you go, come on, Luke, make up your mind. I mean, but, but I, it's actually communicating something pretty profound, and that is that even if you die, you will 
will not be harmed in terms of your relationship with God and the security that that gives you. And so the confidence that that's supposed to give you is something that, that is supposed to drive you, so much so that in 1 Peter 3, when we're talking about uh, the hope that, that, that is within us, right before it says that, it says that you aren't supposed to be terrified of the person who can do you harm because you do good. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that there, it doesn't mean that there isn't a reaction in a, in a, in a sense of, uh, of, of danger that you experience. You have that, but there is ultimately this place to reside and rest on the other end. And really, without eschatology, we couldn't go there. Right. Yeah, the language you used back at the beginning mm-hmm. is uh, echoes what Paul says in Philippians three twenty that mm-hmm. our citizenship is in heaven mm-hmm. and we wait a savior mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. And so the 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 hope he's expressing, I don't think, is a hope to go to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's a hope that Jesus comes to be with us mm-hmm. now. Of course, for most Christians throughout history, it has re- the, the hope has been fulfilled in going to be with Him mm-hmm. and then returning with Him. But, it, but again, it's the the earthly focus of eschatology and and Christ having become one of us. He he came here for us. He laid down His life for us. He took it back again. He ascended to, to the to the fathers as the Father's uh, declaration that his work is completed, and he's coming back. He's coming back to judge the quick and the dead in a kingdom that will never end. But I think the language at the end of the creed here, you mm-hmm. mentioned it, is, is, is so different that there is this declaration of his coming judgment, but that's not what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. We, we're we looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. We miss that life. judgment. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah. Whoop, just went by. I mean, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that judgment, that that day of the Lord is not f- – is is not a we're not appointed to to wrath that mm-hmm. that day of the Lord is for uh, is for those who are not His who who are not united to Him, and so let's think a little bit about about what this looks like because this resurrection from the dead and this looking forward this life in the world to come now. Sometimes I hear portraits of heaven, and I think, well, it doesn't sound like there's much life there. A lot of hanging around, and not much to Floating do. In and clouds, and yeah, playing yeah. And so, so what what is envisaged here when we talk about life in the world to come? Because we're really talking about a restoration, and we're talking about a place where there really is shalom, mm-hmm. a place where there really is justice, a place where there really is righteousness, mm-hmm. where wrong is. Um, is gone, and evil is eradicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even better than that. Okay, keep going. It's not. A, it's not only that evil is eradicated. The possibility of evil is eradicated. Okay. So unlike going back, we're not going back to the garden, right? Where there's the possibility of evil coming in. To this, even the possibility of evil is eradicated. So we we will be forever and will do forever what we were created to be and do. So we we have uh, we have a, a life and a lifestyle um, of resurrection in a recreated earth uh, caring for the world that God has created. Uh, I love music mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love to be able to play instruments uh, but floating around in the cloud by myself is, well, there are times that would be, but, but, but to actually to be able to enjoy the world that God has created and to enjoy it without all of the 
the the effects of sin and death and depravity and decay in it. I mean, that's that's the hope that I think is summarized. It's when golden moments become permanently golden, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and in that sense, we um, we look forward yeah. to a time when. That is taking place. So, uh, what what else about about the life of the world to come and for the resurrection of the dead should we be thinking about as we as we contemplate where it is that God is taking us? Or or maybe we could flip it and say, in light of that, what does what does it mean for your citizenship to be in heaven and your being here on earth? Mm. Um, it well, it means that it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to be good citizens on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does mean that ultimately, as the old gospel song puts it, this world in its current condition is not my home. Mm -hmm. We're just passing through. Mm -hmm. But what is often missed in that old song is that we are one day coming back to this earth. And so that there is continuity between this life and the life to come. We often think in terms of storing up treasures in heaven. I think Jesus talked about that. Mm -hmm. We often think about how what you do here matters in the world to come. But I don't think we often think as much about our care for uh, this world Mm -hmm. and what we do here impacting what is to come. That, that we have a stewardship to care for the world that God has made and that we ought to be – if we are people who are looking for a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and prosperity that lasts forever, we ought to be people of righteousness, peace, and prosperity. We now. should be previewing what is to come. Uh, that's exactly right. And, and, in, and in that preview, we have the opportunity to give little glimpses of heaven and little glimpses of light, which themselves become a part of the credible testimony we can give when we – and I'm going to play on words here – when we image God, when we mirror him, his character, we show ourselves to be sons and daughters of God, yeah. and in the midst of that, reflect his character in a world that oftentimes doesn't get to see what his character is like. Yep. The application that Paul makes at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, this long extended 50-some verses mm-hmm. with a real quick, short um, application at the end mm-hmm. is that the hope of the resurrection enables us to stand. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It gives us persistence. It gives us perseverance. And in an odd in an odd way, the same picture exists in Ephesians six with the armor of God, mm-hmm. that it is our theology and the and the character and the righteousness that God gives us and the hope of the gospel and prayer and the effect of the Spirit allows us to extinguish all the darts mm-hmm. of the evil one and in the end we're able to Stand. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, and, I, and I love pointing out in that passage that the armor of God is not changing the circumstances mm-hmm. around me. Mm-hmm. The armor of God is the character that I that I display, and the and the way in which I see what's going on around me that allows me to not be overwhelmed by what's going on around me. As Jesus facing the uh, the 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 almost said the best, the worst Uh the enemy has to throw at him, was able to endure and to stand, despising the shame uh, because of the joy set before him. I I think uh, um, 
the writer of Hebrews and Paul are kind of on the same page there. Yep, and so we get the language in Colossians 1 of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. Again, another declaration about Mm -hmm. resurrection in another creedal section Mm -hmm. about that's designed to talk about him being the one who leads us Mm -hmm. into the direction and the path and who is the example uh, that we can can draw from. And one important thing about that in response to Arius who argued that firstborn means the first first one born, mm-hmm. Jesus is not the first one who came back from the dead. He raised several people before he raised himself. There are resurrections in the Old Testament. So so it can't mean the, the first born from the dead can't mean the first one who came back from the dead. It, it's, it has to be a term of preeminence. And, and, uh, and then I, we New Testament people like to distinguish between resuscitations from the dead, if you will, and resurrections into the new life, which mm-hmm. Jesus did. Uh, did a pioneer in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, Glenn, I want to thank you for coming in and helping us uh, think through uh, resurrection and life in the world to come. I hope it's been an encouragement to those of you who've joined us on the table. We look forward to your being with us and hope that you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.